Amen. Take your Bible with me this morning, and I want to go together to the book of Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 is where we'll take uh, our text today. We're actually going to be in Mark chapter 10, continuing in the I Am series. Today we're going to deal with, uh, with a subject matter that is fully connected to the I Am series. We're going to close out this series today. We are, so we are going to be in John. As you've noticed, we were in the book of John throughout uh, the, uh, the I Am series, uh, but we will move there. You don't need to turn there now. We will end up in Mark, uh, excuse me, John chapter 8. Right now you're in Mark 10. We'll start there and then find our way into uh, John chapter 8 to tie kind of all this together. So we'll start in Mark 10, we'll move to John 8, and then we're going to come back to apply it and to tie it all together in, uh, in Mark chapter 10. Okay, so we'll begin and end here in this text. Some of you might have noticed this week that uh, a commentator on uh, television, a syndicated uh, t- uh, show all over the uh, country, well, it's not even syndicated, it's just CNN. And uh, you might have noticed on CNN that uh, Don Lemon, I say you noticed it unless you were sitting in an airport waiting in area or in a hospital waiting room, you might not have noticed it. But uh, uh, th- this statement came from CNN this week from Don Lemon, and I wanted, to, I wanted to speak about that here right at the beginning. He said this, he said, uh, this was his quote, as he was comparing the founding fathers of the country to, to Jesus. And this is what he said. He said, Jesus Christ, if you believe in, if that's who you believe in, Jesus Christ, admittedly was not perfect when he was here on this earth. That word admittedly means that he made the admission. When he says admittedly, he is saying Jesus is the one who's admitting it. Not that Don Lemon was admitting sin or that he was admitting Jesus' sin. He said uh, admittedly was a sinner. That means he is saying Jesus claimed to be a sinner. So, uh, or claimed not to be perfect, excuse me, when he was on this earth. So why are we deifying the founders of this country? Okay, so right off the bat, a couple problems. One, I don't know anybody that takes Jesus seriously and then equates him to the founding fathers. I don't know anybody that who, who loves, adores their Savior would say he's the same as George Washington. Okay, I think, I think George Washington would have said, no, 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 I'm not like Jesus. I, I don't have any idea of believing that I'm like Jesus. So, so to, to equate the two of those really is a, is a, is a, false, a false dilemma, a false dichotomy he's building there. But it does give us pause. And my problem is not that a liberal, oh no, there's a liberal out there that doesn't believe Jesus is Jesus. That's not my worry or qualm. That's been happening for a long, long, long time. What's appalled me is how many Christian commentators, quote unquote, or Bible believers, quote unquote, who say, well, I mean, there is Mark 10, as if Jesus is admitting to not being perfect. So as we're in Mark chapter 10 today, I'd ask you to look and see with me, does Jesus make an admission to not being perfect? The Bible says in Mark chapter 10, verse number 17, and when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and thy mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these I have observed from my youth. 
Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. By the way, let us not forget that Calvary is a demonstration of Christ's love for us. That that love is the driving catalyst of our salvation. Jesus loves this man. This This isn't an argument. He's not back and forth in hatred. There's no vitriol here. The Bible tells us his heartbeat. He loves this man. He cares for him. And he said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way and sell whatsoever thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he, that is the rich young ruler, had great possessions. Our text in Mark 10 opens with a rich young ruler. The Bible tells us he's a rich young ruler. We're to imagine that he's wealthy, right? We understand that. We know that he is, uh, he's young. We also know that he's a ruler, and since in that day, the rulership would not have been political. In other words, he wouldn't have been an upper-level bureaucrat in, uh, in the Roman Empire. We understand this to mean that he would have been a ruler of the temple. He would have been a ruler in the temple house. He would have been uh, one of the muckety-mucks that was kind of holding down and suppressing the, uh, the, the saints of the Israelites that would come and bring their offerings and would come and bring their sacrifices. He was one of those, one of the, the upper echelon of, of worship leaders. And that's what he was in his day. And so undoubtedly, I, I don't know his position, I don't know his role, but he would have been uh, of impressive stature. People would have looked up to him. It would also have been kind of a lucrative one. The Bible does say that he was wealthy. Uh, maybe it was wealth that was passed on, I'm guessing, under a Roman occup- occupation. Uh, that wasn't the case. I'm sure that uh, he probably earned it, maybe had a, a great income coming in. And this was a man who, uh, by his own admission, was a rich, young ruler, a ruler in the, the uh, temple mount. This man comes to Jesus, the Bible says. Now, I do want to make mention that there are multiple times in Scripture where a ruler of one kind or another, scribe or Pharisee or or Sadducee, came to Jesus and asked a question. And, And so I do believe this is different in nature and kind than all of those other times mentioned in Scripture. Every other time mentioned in Scripture, when there was a question being asked by a ruler or by a Sadducee, a Pharisee, somebody like that, they were always note, we were always notified as readers that there was some hidden agenda. They tried to trip him up. They tried to trick him, get him to say the wrong thing. He would say one answer, and if he said that answer, then everybody would hate him. And if he said the other answer, everybody would hate him. And that was the whole ploy, was to try to trap Jesus. In fact, they would bring lawyers in, not lawyers like we understand lawyers today, uh, they they were these were soul sucking you know out to get rich off of well yeah kind of like the lawyers we know today these were no I'm just teasing these were lawyers that were about the word of God and they were they were experts in the law of God so when they talk about lawyers in scripture these lawyers were they knew the the. The, uh, down to the definition of what every law of Moses meant, and then they could they could argue its case uh, for for innocence or guilt, and so that's what he meant by lawyers. They so all of these individuals in scriptures, every other one of those instances, we are notified this is a trick, it's a trap. This text doesn't give that to us. In fact, as I read it, I, I tend to believe that this is a, of all sincerity, that this rich young ruler is asking a sincere question of Jesus Christ. I'll show you why we kind of take that away from this text. Number one, notice his urgency. 
He comes to Jesus. The Bible says that he is running to Christ. Okay, so this is different than the times where they were trying to trick Jesus because it's not a group of them slyly moving in. He is running to Jesus. Uh, And you could imagine in context, it was possible that he was running to Jesus because Jesus is alone. And the question that this man has is one that he doesn't want to ask in front of everybody. It's just Jesus. Now's the time to talk to him. He runs to Jesus, the Bible says. Second point of urgency, or a second point of innocence here I see, is that his, you can see his desire. Uh, the Bible says that he kneeled before him. By the way, if you're a rich young ruler, kneeling before somebody, especially somebody you think to be a false teacher, is not something you do. That's just not in the cards. You're not going to be kneeling in front of people. You're of the, the highest echelon of the, of the temple. You don't go kneeling before some peasant teacher that happens to be roaming around the countryside. Uh, thirdly, notice his responsibility. He says, what must I do? In other words, he recognizes that he is here because of his own doing. Uh, he is at this spot where he is not happy, not satisfied. Whatever is going on in the temple is not enough to make him feel as if he is certain of his soul. And so he comes to Jesus, this poor teacher from Nazareth, and he comes to Jesus and asks him a question he should already have figured out. He should already know this answer. You are in the temple for crying out loud. You're a ruler for crying out loud. And you don't know how to have eternal life? He's coming to Jesus recognizing that he has put himself here. And then notice the mental ascent. Notice here, his mental ascent, he asks Jesus how to have eternal life. And first, that means he agrees that there is such a thing as eternal life. That also means that he does not know how to have eternal life. And it also indicates for us that he believes Jesus does have the answer for eternal life. So we notice, as I look at this, I can't help but step away and say, this man, is in, he has all sincerity in his heart when he comes before Jesus. This is being asked in a sincere pattern, a sincere way. He really, truly wants to know, what, how do we have eternal life? And Jesus, how can you help me get it? But there's a problem here. By the way, I think as a pastor, if I saw this man run to Jesus like that, just from a distance, I would be like high-fiving people. One of the rich young rulers wants to join with our team. This is great. We're not going to have to eat poor people food anymore. No more. We're all going to eat like rich people from now on. This guy's wealthy. This is great. We're T-bones every night. It's going to be amazing. And the reality is, is that we probably would have been excited about that. We'd be, we're excited when people get saved, you know. We're pumped about that. We're glad when people make a confession for Jesus Christ. They follow him in baptism. We are excited when they want to be his disciple and they follow in his word and disciple in his word. We love that stuff. That's that's what we do at Knollwood. And so it's exciting to us. Can you imagine what it'd be like around here if a rich young ruler walked up here and he said, you know what, I've been over here at this religious thing for so long and I just know Jesus has the message of eternal life. We'd go nuts in this place. We'd run around flipping chairs over, screaming and yelling, pushing furniture. And that's just the ladies. Once the guys got involved, I mean, it would we really get this place going. We'd just be excited about that. That'd be amazing. Jesus, not so excited. He said, okay, yeah, you, uh, you want eternal life? Um, well, uh, you know the law, so uh, don't, don't lie, steal, cheat, uh, honor your parents, you know, do the stuff in the law. Jesus, I don't know if you know who you're talking to here. That's a rich young ruler. Go ahead and say yes. Let him in. Jesus says, um, you know what? Do this. Take everything you have. Go sell it. And then come back to me. And then you can follow me. 
you take up a cross like everybody else here, and you can follow me. <laughs> no, 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 Jesus, bad, wrong answer, wrong answer. Our church needs a new wing on it. Come on, you can't be sending all the rich people away and having them give all their stuff over. Come on, no, we want them on our part, right? We want them on our team. And that's, that's really, that's kind of the two different ways we would go about it. Jesus seems totally unimpressed. By the way, before we ever say anything like, Jesus will take you just as you are, and uh, Jesus doesn't send anybody away, you might be careful because... Uh, you might find out that the rich young ruler came to Jesus just as he was, and um, he was sent away. You see, Jesus was not going to take him, and there was something that Jesus saw that you and I couldn't see from where we were standing. There's something that Jesus could see. There's a song, a music group uh, sings that says, uh, the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. You see, Jesus could see the heart of the problem, and he saw that the problem was this man's heart. In fact, you notice it with me, uh, some have said, well, this is Jesus trying, because he's in the Old Testament, he's trying to help this man get saved by going out and performing the law. <laughs> by the way, Galatians clears all that up for us. He was, he, Jesus never commanded anybody to go perform the law so that they could get saved. Galatians said that the law is a schoolmaster bringing us to Christ. In other words, this man is standing right in front of Jesus, and Jesus knows he needs the law to bring this man to Jesus. No, 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 Jesus, the rich man's here. He doesn't need you to bring him. No, 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 he still needs to get here. I've got his body here, but there's something missing. I don't have him. I have his body. I have his hope to get spared from hell. I have this man who hopes he's going to have all the right answers, and I let him into Sunday school. But this man is not coming to Jesus. I still need the law to bring him here. You see, coming to Jesus for this man was some other, I don't even know what it was, I'm not going to try to psychoanalyze this guy, but we understand that from Jesus' response, Jesus' response are right, there's something about him that's not fully engaged in understanding who he's in front of. So here Jesus says, no, 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 you're going to need to go and perform the law. Now, by the way, if you understand what Galatians teaches us, is to perform the law is to doom yourself to frustration. That's what it's meant to do. You're supposed to go out and perform the law. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't kill. Don't, don't hate. Don't do that. And we could fill the lines up with all the things you're supposed to go do. And Paul explains it. Go out and try them until you're ready to beat your head into the ground because you can't do it. And then you come back to Jesus and you say, oh, I can't keep the law. I just need you to forgive me. And then we're finally where Jesus was trying to get us to go the whole time. That's finally where we're supposed to be. When we've tried to do the law ourselves and found out we can't do it. And therefore we need desperately for Jesus to be the one to be our righteousness. So what does Jesus give him? Well, the right prescription. I need you to go out and find out you don't actually have this all together. I need you to leave here and find out that you're a sinner and you are desperately in need of a savior. And if you can't figure that out, I can't help you. The second thing that Jesus saw was one, he could see the heart of the issue, and that was that this man was not yet here. He wasn't yet to Jesus. Secondly, was that while he was coming, he was still holding on to something else. So Jesus tells him, I want you to go give everything you have away to the poor. Now, this has been mistaught a million different ways over the years. One, there shouldn't be any rich Christians. That's baloney. I don't believe that. You don't find that in Scripture. Well, well maybe it means that we as, we as God's people, we should, be, we should just give away more and more. And more. I, I don't think this is a prescription for every Christian to go and give away anything. This was about a specific man hearing a specific message from a specific Savior. And his announcement to this rich young ruler was, the problem is, 
you'll always be trusting in your money. This particular man, not, not you, not me, this particular man will always have a problem trusting in his money. Now, can that be your problem? Can it be my problem? Absolutely. That can be a general problem. Is that a prescription for every Christian that's ever lived? No, 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 no. It's a specific man talking to a specific Savior at a specific time. So catch here then the principle. Let's understand the principle, and then we'll move on. I want you to see here, what he does for, G, for this man is he brings him to under, or he's trying to help him understand that he is not able of himself to bring himself to eternal life, either by his good works or by his wealth, right? That's the principle. That's the whole point. You cannot come to Christ because of your righteousness or because of your status. You can't do it, right? So that's a simple principle. So let's park the principle now and the whole text. We'll park it right here for just a second. We'll come back, like I said, and wrap it up at the end. I want you to see here then, where was Jesus' admission to not being perfect? Did anybody catch that? Jesus said he wasn't perfect. Didn't you see it? Oh, come on. Let's look together. Verse number 18, okay? The Bible says with us, And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, and that is God. Didn't you catch it? I mean, Jesus said it right there. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. There's one person that's good, and it's God. So don't you call me good. Hold on. No, 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 no. My father is the good one. I'm not the good one. God's the only one that's good. Do you see it? That's what the unbeliever is saying today. You say, well, don't call him an unbeliever. Yeah, you're right. That's not fair. The one who's not believing what Scripture says says that God, that Jesus is saying, hold on. No, no, no. I'm not good. God is good. Two things are tied up in that conversation. And this has been one that we've seen spinning around today in popular notions back and forth today, in literally in the last seven days. And these are the two popular notions. These are the two popular points that are hit here then. One, either Jesus is declaring, I'm not good because there's only one that is good. He must also then be declaring that he is then not God. So what that does for us is something very simple. What that does for us is it helps us understand what we need to, un- we need to know from Scripture. That is, number one, was God sinless? Was Jesus Christ sinless? And two, is Jesus Christ God? Now, causality would not allow us to say If Jesus Christ is sinless, then he is God. We can't do that. Okay, It won't work that way. But according to Jesus' own rule in in Mark chapter 10, he said, there is none good but one who is God. So if I establish that Jesus is perfect, have I established he is God? The answer is no. Don't shake your head. The answer is no. That's not how causality works. But if I could prove that Jesus was God, I would prove he was sinless. Does that make sense? So I'm, I, the, 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 the burden on you and me is not to prove that Jesus was sinless, therefore he was God, but rather it does work in reverse, and that is, according to Mark chapter 10, if Jesus is God, then he is also claiming to be sinless. Do you see how that works? That's pretty good. So Mark chapter 10 then demands we go to John chapter 8. Let's go together. John chapter 8. In John chapter 8... You will pick up where we were uh, four or five weeks ago in our series on I Am. We dealt with 
I am the light of the world. That's what John chapter 8 declares. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You'll find him reference that point here again in our text as we read through it. He says, I tell you who I am. It's the same I told you from the beginning, and that is, I'm the light of the world. Who do you think I am? I said, I'm the light of the world. That's who I am. Okay, so Jesus is going to make an argument here. In fact, I'm going to put in front of you the, the multiple arguments that Jesus makes. So we're just going to look at one text, and then we'll really unpack that text and then more, okay? So start with this in verse number 21. Jesus has already declared, I am the light of the world, and then everything else that spell, spills out from that comes from the idea that Jesus could be the light of the world. Mark, uh, John chapter 8, verse 21 says, Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way, and ye shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. Whither I go, ye cannot come. Then said the Jews, Will he kill himself? Because he said, whither I go, ye cannot come. And he said unto them, ye are from beneath, and I am from above. Ye are of this world, and I am not of this world. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Then said they unto him, who art thou? And Jesus saith unto him, even the same that I said unto you from the beginning. I already answered this. I'm the light of the world. That's, that's who I am. That's me. Okay. So in John chapter 8, verse number 21 to verse number 25, Jesus is establishing a, some principles for us or some, some truths for us to build on. Okay. So the first thing that Jesus nails down, he makes an argument here. His first argument, Jesus argues that you are of this world. That's not hard to argue, is it? That's a pretty simple principle. How many of you are from this world? Just raise your hand up real quick. Yep, Trump hasn't gotten us to Mars yet, so we don't have any, we don't have any ambassadors from there. So we're, we're all from the same planet, right? And uh, by the way, if I could just interject here, I, I am so sick of the racism talk in America today. As I look at it and I read through Scripture, there's really only one race. I don't know how in the world we've been allowed to devolve this conversation about racism for years now. But the reality is, according to the Word of God, we're all one race. And uh, we got different, different levels of pigmentation, but we all belong together for Christ out loud. That's my piece on that. Secondly, uh, <laughs> secondly, that actually isn't a second point. That was just a point I wanted to interject there. Uh, the reality is, is that he makes this argument, you are of this world. So in Jesus's argument here, there are two levels of people. The first level he establishes, y'all are from here, right? That makes it real simple. Jesus makes the argument, you are from this world. His second argument is not so easy to swallow, and that is this. Jesus argues, he is not of this world. Okay, so he's established two truths. One, you are from here, he is not from here. One is very simple to take. I mean, I was born from a mother on the planet Earth, and he didn't even have a zip code. I have a place that I can point back to and say, this is where I was born. I'm from here. Jesus doesn't have that. You are from here, Jesus is not. His third point is this. His third argument says, that you will die as a sinner. You will die in your sins. Now, it's really more of a point of fact than it is for an argument. Jesus is simply saying, all of you are sinners. Now, I, I think we could take a real you know, unscientific poll in here and say, how many of you have ever sinned? Can I tell you? It will be exactly the same number of people who were born on this planet. 
We're all sinners. The Bible establishes that. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us are sinners, and Jesus is declaring it to be true. You are sinners. How do you know? Because you are of this world. You were born here, so therefore you're sinners. By the way, by implication, I'm not from here. So he begins to set himself apart already. He makes a fourth argument in this text. Jesus argues that your only hope as a sinner is in him who's not of this world. Okay. He then continues his argument. He's established four points, and then he, they, he gives them an opportunity to, to work against that. And now he establishes another set of four points. Let's look at it real quick. Ready? In John chapter 8, verse 34. Okay, so he's coming back now. After they've beat against this idea for a minute, he comes back. Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that ye are of Abraham's seed. So he points out here, who's he talking to? He's talking to Jews. He's talking to a religious people that have a religious claim to God. And he is saying, I know you're Abraham's seed, and it's still not good enough. Watch. But ye seek to kill me. Because my word hath no place in you. Okay. First point Jesus argues in the second section is, you. Jesus argues those who sin are servants of sin. Do you know why you're a sinner today? You're not a sinner today because you committed a sin one time when you were three. You're a sinner today because you were born a servant of sin. You were born doomed to sin. Do you know why you sinned? Because you're a sinner. You don't, you're not a sinner because you sinned way back when. You sin because it's as natural to you as breathing oxygen. That's who we are as humans. We are sinners. Okay. Now, by the way, I know none of this is good news. Bear with me. We're getting there. Jesus then argues that he, unlike us, will abide forever. So sinners, servants of sin, doomed to sin, sin because you're of this planet, I'm not of you, and the only hope you have is me, and by the way, I live forever, you will die in sin. That's Jesus' argument to this point. Jesus argues that he alone can provide hope for the sinner. Now notice this, you must deal with the fact that you're a sinner before you have access to hope. We, We get that backwards too many times. We want hope before we want to deal with sin. We want to know that God's going to save us before we actually get to deal. If, if you dealt with your sin with a holy God and died and went to hell in the end, you would still be better off. It would still be better for you. If all Jesus did was forgive you your sin and still let you go to hell, he is still a gracious and good God. Uh, that's popular, I can tell. Jesus argues that he alone is the hope for the sinner. And Jesus argues that many have no room for truth. And by the way, here is where he nails down the problem with us, with humanity. What was the rich young ruler's problem? What was the problem with a man who could say that Jesus was admittedly a sinner? What what is the problem with a man who doesn't understand who Christ is? What, What is the problem? The problem is that man as a sinner remains in his sin because he refuses to find his hope in the Savior from sin the one who has access to eternal life. Well, what keeps him stuck there? He has no room for truth. His primary issue is he has no room for truth. 
You understand with me today, the reason that there are lost on the planet today is because they have no room for truth. They want this, and they want that, they want to hold on to riches, they want to hold on to this event in their life, they want to hold on to, to the things they have in front of them, they want to keep in these, these relationships, they want to keep their, their sin, they want to keep their indulgences, they want to keep whatever it is that's tying them down, their religion or whatever may have you may have, all of these things are ultimately tying the Christian the tying the lost person into a state where they have no room for truth. Paul would say it this way in the book of Corinthians. He said this, or Colossians, excuse me, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Well, what is it? Man is stuck in deception because he refuses the truth. He refuses it. So, when we look then at what Jesus is arguing, he is arguing that the reason man stays in his sin is because he refused to see the truth that Jesus offers hope to those who are doomed to sin. And then Jesus really throws gas on the fire. It's in John chapter 8. Look with me in verse 54. Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say, He is your God. Yet ye have not known him. But I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto one of you. (laughs) Man, I love that. But I know him and keep his sayings. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and thou hast seen Abraham? Jesus said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, say it, I am. I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him. Oh, they didn't like like Jesus' declaration there. Because um, the heresy that he was spreading, the blasphemy that he was spreading was that he was on par with God. They weren't mad at Jesus and wanting to stone him to death because he was a really good teacher. They didn't want to stone him to death because he healed a bunch of people. They didn't want to stone him to death because, uh, you know, he had some unlikable characteristic about him. They wanted to stone him to death because he just committed blasphemy. He claimed to be something they refused to believe he was. Before Abraham was, I am. And by the way, Jesus goes ahead and hides himself. The Bible says that Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. What is Jesus doing in this text? Jesus argues that God is his father. He's already dealt with the fact that they are of this world. Well, what world are you from? Well, God is my father. (laughs) He's dealing with the fact that he is of divinity. His line, his heritage is divinity. He is the son of God. He's nailed this down. Second, he argues that he is unlike the liars. I would be like one of you, one of you liars. Jesus is not like one of the liars, and so therefore he does not lie. Third, Jesus argues that Abraham looked forward to Christ. 
<laughs> Think about that for a minute. And you got to love this. The, all the Pharisees and Sadducees are gathered together, and he's just called them liars, and he's just told them they're not children of Abraham because if they were children of Abraham, they say, then they would actually love him. And the reason that they would love him is because Abraham looked forward. He rejoiced to see my day, the Bible says. In other words, when, Jesus, when Abraham found that city whose builder and maker was God, guess who greeted him? It was Jesus. He rejoiced, talking past tense, he rejoiced to see my day. You don't want to know who, who Abraham was looking forward to? It was Jesus. You see, it is here at this point that Jesus is making claim to the highest known position in all of the world. When he claimed here, before Abraham was, I am, he is laying claim not to be like God. He is laying claim to be Yahweh. The name that the, the Jews wouldn't even write. They wouldn't write out Yahweh. They wouldn't do it. They would write Y uh, Y H W H. They would write the 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 anagram for it. They wouldn't even say the word. That's where we boiled this down to Jehovah. Well, we use the word or term Jehovah. You see, you can go throughout Scripture. I had a preacher years ago tell me, when you see the word Jehovah, you are hearing the word Jesus. It's the Old Testament way to describe the biblical position of Jesus Christ. Now, there are those who would say, no, 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 it's the whole Trinity. It's the whole triune God. Either way, I'm totally on board with it. I do want us to recognize Jesus is laying claim to Jehovah here. He is laying claim to Yahweh. He is laying claim not to being like God, not to being around God, not to being close to God. He is God the Son. No, 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 no. Not just God's Son. He's already said that. But when he said, Abraham was, I am, he said, I've moved past the idea that you've got, that I've been close to God the Father. You need to understand, I am God. The Bible says that he would not have been, it would not have been robbery for Jesus to lay claim to being God. Wouldn't have happened. It's not robbery. Jesus here has allowed us a sneak peek. Remember, Jesus has positioned himself time and time and time and time again under his Father, under his Father, under his Father, under his Father, all the while positioning himself under his Father, under his Father. By the time we reach John, reach John chapter 8, he is trying to help the Jew identify who he's, took, who he's talking to. He is not talking to a good guy. He's not talking to a good teacher. When you're talking to Jesus, you are looking God in the I. And Jesus has just presented himself as God the Son. I'm the Son of God. I'm the Son of God. I'm the Son of God. I'm not of this world. I'm the one who is the hope for those who are sinners. I am the one that you've been looking for, even like Abraham was looking for me. And before Abraham was, I am. Back to Mark chapter 10. So Jesus has now had a conversation with Pharisees, and in Mark chapter 10, he has a talk with a rich young ruler. All of them struggle from the same problem, is that they miss something about who God is. I want you to see here, 
sadly, many have the same problem that the Pharisees and the rich young ruler had. Many who claim the name of Jesus, even under the sound of my voice, have the same issue that the rich young ruler had when in his day. And that is this. Listen to the words of Jesus once more. John chapter, or excuse me, Mark chapter 10, verse 18. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is, God. Now, when I read that, understanding what John chapter 8 says, all of a sudden that sentence reads entirely different, doesn't it? It is no longer, whoa, 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 whoa. Why are you calling me good? Only God's good. That's, that's not what Jesus was saying at all, was it? No, no, no. Jesus is saying, why are you calling me good? Unless, of course, you believe I'm God. Because if you're calling me good, you need to understand you are loading that with all the moral perfection that comes with the term good. And we need to settle once and for all, I, Jesus, am good. You are not. But this man suffers from what some today suffer with. And that is this. Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one who is God. He takes the young man to the law, and what is the response of the young man? The Bible says, oh, me too. Isn't that what he says? Look at verse number 20. Verse number 18 If you don't call me good, you call one good, and that's God. By the way, I am God. You can see Jesus pointing at himself. But verse number 20, And he, that rich young ruler, answered and said unto the master, All these I have observed from my youth. Hold on. What's this young man's problem? Jesus says to him, There's none good but God. The young man's response is, And me too. There's none good but God. Oh, but I'm good. No, 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 no. Jesus, I'm good. No, no, I haven't lied. I haven't stolen. I haven't taken anything. I didn't dishonor my parents. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. Jesus puts the law right in front of the man and says, listen, you need to go out and you need to not kill. You need to not steal. You need not destroy. You need not to dishonor your parents. This is God from heaven coming to a man and says, listen to me, you are a lawbreaker. You are a sinner and you need to deal with your sin. And the young man steps back and says, I've done all those things. In other words, he is providing full assurance of Proverbs chapter 20, verse number 6, which says, most men, most men will declare their own righteousness. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find. What is, the, what is the one issue that so many of us have a problem with? That is, we fail to see our own sinfulness, and because we fail to see our own sinfulness, we cannot even begin to see his righteousness. The Bible makes so clear to us, here's this rich young ruler. Man, you've got all of this going for you, and you're this wonderful catch for the church, but Jesus isn't going to let you in, and he's not going to let you in because you've got to deal with your sin. And his answer is this, I haven't sinned. Hey, hey, rich young ruler, go out and stop your lying. I haven't lied. Go out and don't be one who dishonors your parents. I haven't dishonored my parents. I didn't do that. 
That wasn't me. I, I didn't do that. If this man had been a believer in understanding who Jesus was and who he was speaking to, he would have been very well aware of how desperately wicked he is. I think back to September 1st, 1999, when God finally got a hold of this wicked sinner, and I got on my face before God fully aware that I was desperately in need of a Savior, and if I died in my sin, I would go to hell. And I called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am so thankful for the salvation that he gives to me, but please understand that that isn't the last time I sinned. And it seems as if my only way to become anything like what God saved me to be is to be constantly well aware of the fact that I fail every single time I try. And tomorrow when I get up, it is a desperate sinner getting up out of that bed. And I better run to Christ and find myself humble before the only one who can carry me in his righteousness and humble myself before him, recognizing who he is and who I am and how desperately I need him. Because that was the failure of this rich young ruler. The rich young ruler really believed this was a good teacher. He needed to know he was talking to God. He needed to recognize that I am a wicked sinner and what stands before me is righteousness. And if I have any hope of being right with, my, with a holy God in heaven, the Father in heaven, it is only through Christ Jesus' righteousness. And I need it desperately. But if we're honest today, the rich young ruler is not the only one that wrestles with this. Can I tell you what I think the greatest need of this church is? Is to be full of people who know they're sinners. Wait a second, preacher. What about the identity in Jesus Christ? I am righteous. I'm holy. I am clean. Yep, I'd agree with you all the way. Absolutely. I'm so thankful for my position in Jesus Christ. But you don't understand what helps me walk that position is recognizing that I cannot in and of myself live that way. And it demands that I just surrender. Completely surrender to the one who is righteous because if he puts it in my hands, I will wreck it. It's those times where I believed I've got this. God, hey, thanks for saving me. I'll take it from here. There are those times in my life where I have done the most damage because when I take over, it's a sinner at the wheel. I desperately, desperately need a Savior who can live my life. As Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Can I tell you today, you are in desperate need to recognize you are a sinner today. You're a sinner. You woke up a sinner today. No, 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 no. I've been cleaned in Jesus. Yes, you have. Yes, absolutely. Anybody in here sinned this last week? Anybody? I mean, we could probably take a poll. I'm guessing it's the same answer we got whenever we measured who all's been born on this planet. It's the same thing. We're sinners. And by the way, if you're going to beat yourself up for it, we've totally missed the point here. The idea is not that you need to carry around this heavy burden and guilt, but rather Jesus said, I'm the hope for sinners. If you can trust, if a sinner can know he's a sinner, he can trust me. And if he can trust me, I can handle the sinner. You see, being a sinner is only bad news when you don't have hope. The beauty is, is that we have a Savior. Most important thing 
in our life. Can I tell you, there are false teachers on every hand today, all over the place. They'd love to tell you that, that Jesus confessed that he, was, uh, he wasn't perfect. There are false teachers on every hand. Do you want to know what I think to be the greatest vaccination, if I can use that word in today's loaded society? You want to know what I think to be the greatest vaccination for that lie? Is a group of people who understand who they are as sinners and understand who he is as a gracious Savior. My friend, if you and I sit here today knowing that God has demonstrated mercy and grace to we, the sinners, and he has done it for one more week, he, he forbear with us again in our wickedness and sin, the thoughts that run through our minds, the attitudes that we pick up, the junk that we do and the stuff that we say, and God has chosen in his great mercy to demonstrate kindness to us once more by allowing our eyes to pop open. Can I tell you, he is still an amazing, gracious God. But you and I got to be aware, we're still sinners. So what's the plan? Paul's plan for the sinner was die to self and let Christ live through us. Christian, just like this rich young ruler, you can spend the rest of this week running around saying, no, 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 I did all those things, God. I did everything you asked. And Jesus will still be sitting there saying, he completely missed it. Or we can see our great need is to one more time rely on an incredible Savior. You see, when it's all said and done, living like that, Christians will put Jesus way up here and put themselves right back down here. And this garbage about Jesus admitted he was a sinner, all they're trying to do is bring Jesus down. And they're going to talk about how you're a good person and you're not all that bad. What are they doing? They're trying to lift you up. No, 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 no. Christianity has a very clear vision, and that is I am nothing but a sinner. And he is everything.